0: Idols cause us to believe the lie. It starts out in our head and it moves to our heart, and then we act accordingly. In John 10, ten, Jesus says this the thief comes only. Who's the thief? It's the idols, it's Satan. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So if you choose darkness, those are the consequences. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Idols steal, kill, and destroy who you are. And that's part of the critical action in this story. Now, one of the critical decisions in this story is a word that we often use. It's the word repent. Repent. And if you like outlines, here's what I'm going to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the importance of that decision to repent. I want to talk about the anatomy of that decision to repent. And then I want to talk about the key to it. So we're going to kind of follow this outline, the importance of it, the anatomy of it, and the key to it. This concept of repentance. Let's talk about the importance of it. There's a phrase in verse 17 where it says he came to himself. Some translations say he came to his senses. When you think about repentance, there needs to be a shift in our thinking. If there's going to be a shift in our actions. And the word that we describe to do that is the word repent. It means to change one's mind. It means to turn from sin To dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. And when I read that definition, I had to think about the 12 steps that many of you are familiar with. That really is kind of a description of repentance. It's going from point A to point B. Change our thinking, change our actions, so that we end up in a place that is whole and healthy for us before God. So repentance deals with our intellects, it deals with our emotions. It deals with our physical choices we make. There's a shift in all three. And when you think about repentance, it's everywhere in Scripture. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 says, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 17 says the same thing that John the Baptist said. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now there's another scene, and Jesus is off doing what Jesus does. And he ends up at the very end of this sermon having supper with bad people. You know who bad people are. It's us. Now, there's some people who don't know they're bad people. So they say, those are bad people. But it's the kind of people that he was addressing the prodigal son to. The tax collectors and sinners. So he's having supper with bad people. Pharisees see this. And they complain to the disciples. It's always interesting when somebody has a question about someone's behavior. Who do they talk to? Somebody else. Why do they triangulate? You know, that's part of our sin nature, isn't it? Where we talk about other people rather than to them. But in this case, they do something that we often do. They're close enough to Jesus. They talk loud enough that who hears? Jesus hears. And of course, the bad people hear the religious leaders. So it's kind of like they want to talk to disciples, but they want to talk loud enough so Jesus hears. Here's what he said. Matthew 9, verse 13. He looks at the religious leaders after this conversation about Jesus should not be with sinners. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's a nice way of saying, listen, people, what I really want is a merciful, generous, gracious heart. I don't want you following a bunch of rules that you made up that we call religion. Amen. only got one amen from that. Should I say it again? Amen. For I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, who are the righteous people? People believe lies in their head because none of us are righteous. Didn't Paul say that? There's none righteous, no, not one. We are all sinners. Now he declares us righteous. He makes us righteous. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, if you're already in, Jesus says, I'm going to spend time with people that aren't in because I want to help them to be in. And that's the description of the church, isn't it? That we who understand the difference between heaven and hell, we understand the consequences of living in darkness. We understand what idols do to people. We do everything in our power to go out there and help them understand who Jesus is. Amen? I mean, that's the why of Jesus. And what does that mean for us? Well, what it means, and and I like what Martin Luther says. Martin Luther says, all of life is repentance. (laughs) It means all of us, both past, present, and future, we are repenting. We are changing our thinking. We're changing our emotions. We're changing our actions to be more like Jesus. We want to be followers of Jesus, not followers of a religion. Now, our difficulty today in the year 2018, living in the United States, is that repentance demands something of us that we do not like. And what we do not like is that we have to determine something is right or something is wrong. We don't like to talk about that today. Brennan Manning hit the spirit of our times when he said, the temptation of our age is to look good without being good. Image is more important than character. Character. And everything becomes about us. And so we find sources that agree with our version of life, both public and private, both political and religious. And we are like the book of Judges where it says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That phrase is found twice. See, repentance requires us to agree that something is wrong and that something is right. Of course, Jesus is right. And when Jesus says, you shouldn't do this, that means it's wrong, morally and legally. And when we can't agree on that, we become reckless, like the younger son. I mean, what he did was morally and ethically, and even in his day, legally wrong. To demand the inheritance of his father, we talked about this, was to literally say, Dad, I wish you were dead. Legally, Dad should have just kicked him straight out of the house, but he didn't. He gave him his request. But think about the idols. Think about the deception. Think about the lies he believed that caused him to so despise his father that his father's wealth was more important than the relationship. And yet we find ourselves at those same kind of crazy crossroads. Let me give an example. I was reading about this just two weeks ago. Child pornography. Is it right or wrong? Why? Because it involves children doing adult things. Recently, however, the courts in our land are being petitioned about, is it really child pornography if they use avatars? Now, for those that don't understand what avatars is, it's a digital image that they create out of whatever. So if it's really not a child being used, is it wrong? Now, I sit there and say, this is absolutely crazy. Of course, it's wrong. Whether it's a fake image or whether it's a real person doesn't make it wrong or right. And yet, that's exactly what's happening in our land today. And there's just no sense among some that it's just morally wrong. Now, Scripture has clear guidelines that there are some things that are wrong. There's some things that are right. And when you listen to the chatter of our land, and when you listen to the idols screaming their lies, lies that will do what? They'll steal our souls, they'll kill us, they'll devour us. That's what the thief does. And then you look at our culture struggling with the question of right and wrong. And you see what happens today? We often shout down the other side that disagrees with us. But if we're going to settle the issue of repentance, we have to settle the issue of some things are right and some things are wrong. And who makes that declaration? God does. We don't. Now, Paul tells us there's two kinds of repentance. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. There's a repentance that leads us to Jesus <laughs> and leads us... To Jesus, where he heals us, without regret means without shame. He takes our shame away. You realize in our communities, whether it's religious or non-religious, when we shame people, we're not doing the Christian thing. When people are saved and people are brought to Jesus, he removes the shame. Amen? Whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, how many of you have seen people that are really sorry? They're sorry to the point of tears. They just beg that they'll never do it again. And then a week later, two weeks later, a month later, two months later, what do they do? They do it again. Okay, there's godly grief. Godly grief says this. I'm really sorry I got caught. I'm sorry for everything I did. But I'm still going to be the captain of my own life. I'm still going to make my decisions, my will, what I determine right and wrong. Rather than the submission that we talked about this morning when we were singing, we bow our knees to an audience of one. Why? Because it's the only thing that leads us to salvation without shame. So there's two kinds of repentance one is godly, one is human. One leads to salvation, one leads to death. Which one would you like to be part of? It says he came to his senses. And church, we need to come to our senses. We need to realize that we're sinners. That's not a qualitative understanding. It's not like, well, I'm a sinner, but not as bad as the sinner over there. No, let's be honest. We do that, don't we? It's a godly understanding. And the godly understanding means that only through Jesus can we be restored to the correct image. Worldly grief, we're going to just try to fix ourselves and other people. And how's that work for you? (laughs) Not very good. Let's move on to the importance of it. Our very life depends on it. That's the importance of it. Let's move on to the anatomy of it. He came to a census. Now, what we have to realize this morning is that most of our problems are due to our sin. We sang about open our eyes. We talk about standing before. And when we do that, Jesus says, listen, I want to talk about you. I don't want to talk about the next person. (laughs) I want to talk about your sin. I want to talk about how you walked away from me. I want to talk about how you have said, dad, I don't want you in my life. What we want to do is we want to talk about everybody else around us and why we are the way we are. It's because of those people. Jesus says, no. And our reality depends on this perspective. Because once we realize that it's in our own heart, we act accordingly. Of course, the problem is our hearts run on denial like a car runs on gas. The realization of our sin puts a strain on our reality. And we have everything figured out. And then Jesus says, let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about your heart. And I've seen this in other places in our lives where something happens and it wakes us up to a different reality than we were living. I know when my mom died when she was 54, it was back in 1989. I remember prior to that how clear life was. And I was just kind of moving on through. Then the reality of losing my mom, there was a massive shift. Things that I thought were important really were no big deal. And see, that's what repentance does. It brings a different reality into our minds that changes our emotions, that changes literally the actions that we take. And it is so important. And that brings then what he did here. He came to his senses, but then he focuses on God. He focuses on God. Now the father sees... In fact, the son sees his father's generosity to all his workers, to everything at home, that before he thought was a prison. See how his reality changed? And here's what he said, and and this is where we struggle. He says, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. That's what he said to the father. I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. That's the right order. That's the right perspective. It's both horizontal and vertical but it's not how we see things. We see people sinning against us and we want to pound the flesh and we call it justice. So let's be honest. We struggle with stories like David's confession in Psalm 51. You know, the situation where he stole a man's wife, got her pregnant, killed the husband, put him out there and had him killed. And he lies to everyone around him until he's confronted someday by a, a person saying, David, I got a story for you. You know, here's this man who... And then he repents. And then here's what's recorded in Psalm 51. And I'll admit, I struggle with this when I read this confession. David says, against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your eyes. And we say, what? What? No, he sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against the nation he was king to. He sinned against all these people. But this is critical. This is what wakes you up when you focus on God. And only then can you start making restitution to people around you that you have sinned against. But again, our human nature does this. Well, you know. Yeah, I I know I sinned against you and I know I did this, but you know, you did this to me and you sit there and wait for them to ask for forgiveness. No, that's not what restitution does. That's not what focusing on God does. See, when sin's exposed, idols are brought to light. And we have a choice. To repent or to allow our pain to drive us. And if we allow our pain to drive us, then we're willing to do anything to get rid of the pain. Sometimes we just beat ourselves up. Sometimes we medicate ourselves, but it all moves us to a deeper self-centeredness, self-pity, self-justice. We make all these promises and change only happens for a season and we end up right back where we were. And the problem is focus. Focus should be on God, the goodness of God, Jesus Christ who restores us. When we focus on God, our vision is clear. We see things that God sees them. He enables repentance. He removes the sin. He removes the shame. And he gives us the ability through his spirit to make a path of restitution that leads to life. He came to his senses. He focused on God. And then the third thing he did Here's the anatomy of repentance. He accepts responsibility. Again, I have to think about the 12-step program. It's all about quitting the blame. It's about quitting trying to do it on your own. It's about needing God and needing community. And we listen to the son's rationale, and it goes like this. Dad, let me earn my way back as a hired hand. But the father refuses to let his son earn his way. That's why we say it was reckless love. It was reckless generosity. He gives him the robe. He gives him the ring. He gives him the party. And it makes the older brother mad. The older brother says what we all say. That's not fair. When we come face to face with the God who restores us and takes away our shame, we realize that's not fair. But his generosity inspires us to be like him. And we go out and we live not based upon fairness, but based upon his generosity and love. And it's a world of difference. See, the older brother, and we're going to talk about him later, not today, but next week, he focuses on what's a catalog of behavior that he listed that are right and wrong. And he was reckless in his judgment. He came to a census, he focused on God, and he accepted responsibility. That's the anatomy of repentance. But here's the key to it. And I really want to focus on this again because it goes back to God. The key to all this is God and his Son and his grace and mercy and justice. And his reality. Now I want to push this to a question this morning. What does community, by community I'm talking about the body of Christ. What does community look like if we get repentance right? I want you to think about that. What will it look like? Community that will help people find Jesus. Community that will... Help people change their thinking and their hearts and their lives. Community that helps tear idols down. What does it look like if we're a community that's willing to come to its senses? That's willing to find godly sorrow instead of human sorrow. That's willing to be family. And you know by family, let's face it. <laughs> family, we all know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen? But we're still family. Family. We don't run away. We don't go elsewhere because we don't like somebody. I mean, what would the community the body of Christ look like if we lived like the Father? I want you to think about that this week. I want you to pray about it. It's really my heart for GBC. It's my heart that uh, we become a community that we are so reckless in our generosity and love that it makes the world stand up and notice that we're not a religion, but we're followers of Jesus. Now I want to address people who've been Christians for a long time for a moment. You know, we have this false notion that because we have been Christians for a long time, that we should not have any deep struggles. <laughs> yeah, I hear someone laughing. And they know and I've noticed Christians love it when other people share. But they're not willing to share. In fact, when they do share, often they end up leaving the community because now people know some of their secrets. I know of a church, a pastor friend of mine, and he was getting involved emotionally with a female staff member, and he recognized it early, confessed to his wife, they went for help. They dealt with it. They repented. You know, when things were a healthy stage, they sat down for leadership and confessed what had been going on the last several months. What was their response? They fired him. Now the message was sent to that church and to all the people who are Christians, that pastors should not have problems. By the way, if you think this pastor has a problem, you need to alter your thinking, uh, I'm just not there. I'm not that good. But the message they sent was that pastors should not have problems. And if anyone dares shares their struggles, we will fire you. Here's my word of caution to people who have been Christians for a long time. Be very, very careful how you react when you discuss the sins of this world. So many times we enter you know, in a conversation very innocently. We will go, ooh, that's disgusting. How can anyone ever? And if there's someone sitting with an earshot who struggles with that secret sin, they're going to bury it down even and make it more secret, make it more secure, secure and make it more hidden. And they're never going to find freedom. That'll just kill and destroy their lives. The other thing I want to say is this, for those that have been in church for a long time. There's this behavior in our churches that when a a Christian person struggles and confesses, that they often disappear to another church because someone is embarrassed and filled with shame. Remember godly sorrow leads to what? (laughs) Salvation without shame. We need to practice that more. So often we have human sorrow like the older brother. And we get angry and we get upset and we run and we hide. And that's Genesis 3 behavior. When God shows up, Adam and Eve hid because of their sin. Now I want to address those people who have not been Christians a very long time. And those who have not yet made a choice. I know sometimes it doesn't make sense. And you look at scripture, you look at what's right and wrong in scripture. And you say to yourself, it just doesn't make sense. I get that because you've been... Unundated with the idols of our culture and the lies of our culture. And the culture out there suggests things that are very, very differently than God's word does. Here's my advice to you. Just trust God. Trust him with the right and wrong stuff. So many times. And we get this with little kids. If you have little kids, you have teenagers. Their favorite phrase is, well, why can't I? So and so does. You fill in the blank. Sometimes you say, well, I'm not hurting anyone. Trust me. Actually, trust God. The lies will still steal, kill, and destroy your life. They will. So if you're new in the faith, just trust God. If you're not in the faith, you need to trust God. Come to Jesus. And allow him to walk you and give you the robe the ring and the party now I want to talk to those this morning who are like the younger brother and that could be those of us that have been here for a long time those that have been here for a short time you're on a journey away from the father you might be in the early stages where you just kind of ask for the money you might have your bags packed Or maybe you just left. Maybe you're out in the party scene right now and things are going well. Maybe you're out in the pigsty. I don't know. My advice to you this morning is it's time to come home. It's time to come home. One of the things I love reading is Greek mythology. And there's a classic about a story about a man named Ulysses. And he went on this really kind of crazy journey, met crazy creatures and dangerous animals. But the one scene is where they're going past something called the Island of the Sirens. Now, these sirens would sing. And the sailors would be so enthralled with their voices, they'd take the ships into the rocks and die. Translation, sirens sound good, they look good, but they're bad people. (laughs) They will kill, destroy. Nobody comes out alive. Now, Ulysses was curious. He wanted to hear them. So he had his crew tie him to the mast, and he plugged their ears with wax. And he gave this instruction. He said, listen, I'm probably going to be out of my mind. And no matter what you see or hear me shouting, if they could, keep rowing. Ignore me. I'm going to get real crazy, but keep rowing until we are out of sight of the island. Back to my question about what does it look like to be a community repentance? That's my image that we keep rowing for each other. And when we or someone else is out of their mind, the body, we keep rowing to Jesus until we are out of harm's way. Amen. We're going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing in closing a song about God's amazing grace. As we do that, I really want to challenge those who don't know Jesus to make that decision this morning. Um, If you're here and you would like to accept Jesus as your Savior, start the godly repentance. uh, Just kind of stand up. We're going to have somebody get around you, and they're going to talk to you and pray with you. If that's you this morning... Just kind of stand right now. We'll pause for a moment. Anyone? Now, I'm just curious. How many are brave enough to raise their hand and say, you know what? I'm the younger brother, and I'm kind of walking away from God right now, and I need to come home, and i like your prayer. If that's you here this morning, just kind of put your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Anyone? Okay. Here's a hand. You know, the truth is all of us are younger brothers in, in some aspect of our life, aren't we? It's always one of those altar calls. I feel like I should put both hands and both legs in the air because there's some things going well and there's just other things that I, I wrestle with. But I appreciate your honesty. Um, I met with five people prior to the church. We had a baptism class. They're my favorite classes. And I just heard stories of what God does in people's lives. And I got to tell you, people, uh, we're hoping to have a baptismal service in two weeks. You need to be here because you're going to hear the stories as well. Now, some are scared. So pray for them. Uh, you are a frightening group of people to look at. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. A, but, you know, it, it is so cool to see what God does with a life. And they are sons and they are daughters of a great king. Amen. Father God, we celebrate who you are. And who you are uh, is a God who redeems us. Help us to learn to live in the robe, the ring, and the party instead of like the older brother out in the field complaining or like the younger son out in the world following idols that just destroy us in many ways. Pray for the young man that raised his hand and for all of us that we're afraid to um, help us to keep close to you. I pray for those that are seeking, that haven't yet decided to be part of your family, that they would this week. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we as a church are just a community of, of people that help other people see Jesus and walk. That aren't afraid to share their struggles. That aren't afraid to admit that they need people. God, help us stop to fix, fixing each other and really just relying on you and walking together in your grace and love. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege of worship we have, that we can come here and worship you. Uh, it goes beyond our ability to understand that, but we just thank you for it. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's stand as we worship.